Friends, I, I'm convinced that there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, those who love roller coasters and those who prefer the merry-go-round. There are those who love thrill rides and those who don't. Now, personally, I'm a roller coaster fan, right? Not, maybe not a fanatic, but a fan. Uh, my, my family had the privilege of uh, going to Cedar Point last summer where there is not a lack of roller coasters. And you could see it actually from ride to ride in lines as you waited, the, the clear line of delineation in families. There were those in line who couldn't wait to get on the roller coaster, and there were those who would prefer to have been in the bathroom. Like you could just see it, right? Even there, there were people who were like, who wants to ride Millennium Force, right? There are those who want to ride a roller coaster that goes 94 miles an hour, and those who don't. And here's the best part. You could also see it in their faces when they got off the roller coaster, <laughs> right? There were those whose eyes were alight with joy, and there were those who probably, over the course of the ride, leaked a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> tears, leaked tears, church, that's right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there are just those who love it and those who don't. Now, this, this isn't going to be new information for lots of you in the room, but here it is anyway. Uh, teaching your kids to drive is a, um, uh, it's a unique experience. <laughs> Like when I, was, when I was 15, I'm not sure that I appreciated what my parents were doing when they teached me to drive, right? When they, I just honestly, I, I couldn't quite explain why it is all of the color in my father's face exited every time I got onto the highway. Or why it is when I was driving, my mom would hold on to the door handle with both arms, right? <laughs> Or why it is my mom would say to my dad, like, I'm lucky there's not a hole in the passenger side where the brake is supposed to be. Like, I didn't understand it as a 15-year-old. But, but I will say that when you start to teach your kids, you begin to appreciate what you did not know. Now, I have to say that my kids drive exponentially better uh, than I did when I was 15, right? Uh, I think the color has mostly stayed in my face. I've, I've never grabbed onto the door handle with both hands, right? Never, never with both hands. And there is not, there's not a hole in the floor on the passenger side where the brake should be. Well-worn carpet, but not a hole. Hmm? I didn't appreciate it, but I do now. I, I, I sense that what my parents were experiencing and what lots of us experience when we teach our kids to drive is the loss or the absence of control. And I don't know a single person who loves to be out of control. Uh, even thrill seekers, even those who love roller coasters, there are parts of their lives that if they were out of control would make them freeze in fear. But church, there is a theological truth here that we need to hang on to. And you, you can write this down so you can put it on your mirror or put it on your refrigerator, whatever. But this is what it is. We aren't in control. We aren't in it. We don't have it. Now, two weeks ago, we entered into both a new season and a new preaching series 
entitled God Revealed. We are in this season of epiphany when God reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ. When the one who was with the Father in the beginning and through whom the world was made, when that one, the Word, would become flesh and have a purpose. He would become flesh for a holy and divine purpose. God revealed himself. He made himself known. He took off the proverbial mask and let us bask in the light of Jesus' face so that he would move us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If Advent was a season of preparation, then Epiphany, the season we're in now, is a season of revelation. And over the weeks, as we journey with Jesus, he's going to reveal more and more and more and more of his character. And we'll come to know a God who is good and a God who is trustworthy and a God who is holy and a God who is transformative. Now, two weeks ago at the waters of the River Jordan, we witnessed the baptism of Jesus, and we, we got to overhear the Father's words to his Son. When the Father says to Jesus, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And in it, of course, we learn that God is that he's good, that he isn't mean or spiteful, we don't have to stack up just the right amount of good things in order for him to be pleased with us. God is good. He calls us son and daughter, not because we've stacked up just enough good, but because, because we are his. Because we are made in his image, redeemed by Christ. This, friends, this is grace, and it is good. If that's where we'd been, you'd think that we'd move on to another characteristic, but, but pastoral practice and lots of conversations with you, the church, suggest that we should probably stay on this characteristic, that God is good one more week. See, one of the most frequent questions asked in all of Christendom, and it's been asked of me, and I suspect it's been asked of Pastor Adam, I, I know, is, is this. I don't know how many times, honestly, but the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Or, it's not too distant cousin. If God is good, then why is there suffering in the world? Now, I, I don't want to sound flippant here because I, I believe that these questions, when asked of either me or Pastor Adam, that they are honest questions and that they're arising out of real-life situations. Right, the premature death of a loved one or a friend, a car accident that would leave a driver without the use of their legs, a freak accident with a lawnmower that takes two fingers, maybe the financial strain of a recent job loss or physical struggles that should, shouldn't happen to somebody so young. I mean, these, these are the real-life situations in which people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, the list, quite honestly, could go on and on and on. But friends, at, at the heart of that question, why do bad things happen to good people, at the heart of that is, I believe, two things. The first one is this. There is a question that says, is God really good? And two, when we ask that question, it exposes our need for control. Uh, perhaps a more pointed way to say it or to ask it is this. Can you still call God good 
when your life is out of control? Or is God only good when your life is going as it should? When it is, quote, in control. Quite honestly, church, this is the question that the disciples are asking in John chapter 9. So let's go there together. You'll need a Bible this morning, uh, whether that's the one that's provided or hopefully the one that you brought with you, paper or digital. And we're going to go to John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 1. The text we heard Katie read just, just moments ago. John chapter 9, uh, verse 1. Now, As you're getting there, just a little bit of context. We want to remember that the Gospel of John is not a Gospel that is set up chronologically. But rather, John John is delivering evidence in a court case so that we can believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, John is using his signs as a way of revealing God in the person of Jesus. And in the chapters that come just before this, just before chapter 9, Jesus is having a go with the religious hierarchy. It seems that Jesus in the last two chapters really is in like this, uh, uh, this kind of like run of disputes about all kinds of things, about his, his testimony, his persons, his descendants. But friends, when we read those disputes carefully, John is actually revealing more and more and more about Jesus, who he is, why his word matters, and his authority to be able to claim you and me as sons and daughters. And all of it, all of it is being soaked up by the disciples. So when when we arrive then at chapter 9, the disciples and Jesus are now together without the crowds, and they ask this important question. So let's look at it together. This is verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a blind man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So let, let me just reframe the question of the disciples here briefly. They're asking this, why did this bad thing happen to this seemingly good person. Do you hear the question? Why did this bad thing happen to this good person? The question that so many of us ask, born out of life circumstances. They are looking at the life circumstances of a blind man, and they want to know why. What's the cause? Now, we should pause here and just say that at the time of Jesus, there is a prevailing thought that sin caused people's infirmities, that it caused people's sicknesses and diseases. Now, I want to I slow down uh, just to be really clear. A whole biblical theology, in other words, a theology from the, the story of the whole scriptural narrative says that this thought, that sin causes those things, from a biblical perspective, is true. Sin has affected the creation in such a way that bodies can and they will get sick. However, 
What's different about their question is that the prevailing thought of the day is that specific sins of people caused infirmities. Sin as a condition has broken the creation, but what they want to know is who messed up, who's responsible. There is a prevailing thought of the day that someone's specific sins, say the sins of a parent, those specific things they did do or didn't do have caused a sickness in a child. Now, in fairness, the rabbis who are going to talk about God's law, they, they cite Exodus 20 as the foundation for this kind of thinking, right? That sin can be passed from generation to generation. Here's what it says in Exodus 20. It says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations of those who reject me. And so with a text like Exodus chapter 20, the rabbis at the time of Jesus would say that parents' sin can be passed to their children. But more specifically, and this is the interpretation of the rabbis about it, is that these sins which parents committed can be passed down to their children in the form of sicknesses or diseases. Interestingly, there were other rabbis who believed at the time that children could commit sins in utero. Now, I don't know how that works, right? I can only imagine like a a young person in utero grabbing an umbilical cord, swinging it around and saying, feed me, right? Like do that, like how selfish of that baby in utero. I don't know how it works. I'm just saying this is the prevailing thought. And while I joke about it, it is true at the time of Jesus. And so the disciples, the disciples, they want to know who messed up, whose sins are responsible for the blindness of this man. They want to get to the cause and to the reason of this man's sickness. They want to know what or who caused this bad thing to happen. And why? Why do they want to know the cause? So they can avoid it. They want to know the cause so they can avoid it. You see, the disciples, they want control. And if there isn't a cause, if this sickness, this bad thing is literally out of control, if the world is out of control, then then that's like riding in a car with a first-time driver on the first day, right? It feels absolutely awful. You see, when we, when we, church, ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? We're looking for the cause. We're looking for the reason. We want to know what caused it or why it happened. Because if we know the reason, if we know the cause, 
then like the disciples, we will do everything to avoid it. It's interesting, we will work our darndest to avoid hurt and pain and suffering. Shoot, most of us, most of us will do everything within our power simply to avoid displeasure. See, like it or not, we desperately want control over our lives. And so, when, when faithful sisters and brothers ask me, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? Or if God is good, why is there suffering in the world? And then I tell them, I don't know why bad things happen to good people. Or I, I don't know why bad things happen to bad people for that matter. They, they seem unsatisfied with my answer. Some of them are frustrated, some are troubled. Some find it really hard to believe that there isn't a super easy answer to their question. Uh, there, there is actually a super easy answer. It's, it's sin, right? Sin has broken all of creation so that we get sick and will get sick. But, but sisters and brothers, even as I've said that, even if I've explained it's as simple as sin and a, and a creation that is broken, the sisters and brothers that ask the question of me still don't like my answer. Why? Because they can't fix sin. Because they can't control what sin does in them. They can't avoid sin. And it is it is often difficult for people to believe in God's goodness when their life is out of their control. Is God only good when life is under control? Well, Jesus, in John 9, verse 3, He moves us to a truth that I think we should hang on. All right, so let's look at it together. Verse 3. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. You see what he did? This is great. Jesus is basically saying, hey, wrong question. Who sinned? This guy or his parents? Wrong question. Uh, what's the cause? Wrong question. Who's at fault? Wrong question. Jesus says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You're looking for a cause. You want to know why? Wrong question. This exists so that we might see God's work, so that we might see God's goodness. We might see that He's trustworthy, He's transformative. This has happened so that people like you and me we would come to the truth that God's goodness does not depend on our circumstances, but rather that God's goodness 
depends solely on his work. Now, in this case, that work was a little bit of spit and dirt. Put together, make some mud, put it on some eyes, send the guy to the pool of Siloam, washes, and he sees. The blind receiving their sight. The enslaved being set free. The broken being healed. So God's goodness is not dependent on our circumstances. God's goodness is rooted in His work. So God would prove His goodness to you and me by what it is He did. Jesus absorbing every hurt, every pain, every bit of suffering, every anxiety, and every grief, bearing the weight of that on a cross. See, God was in control. He's been in control the whole time. God's goodness is rooted in His work, both cross and resurrection, so that you and I would be freed from our blindness, from the slavery of our sin, that we would experience healing to our brokenness. You want to know the cause, Jesus says? Wrong question. Let's look rather with the eyes of faith and see that God is good. Now, church, let me be honest. In this journey with Jesus, as we move towards eternity, some of us will experience that healing in this life. Some of us will see the anxiety that we experience in our mind and our heart be cast out. For some of us, our bodies will be healed in miraculous ways. And it's good. But it is also true that for some of us, we won't receive that healing in this life. And we won't be released from that anxiety that holds us captive in this life. And our bodies won't be miraculously healed in this life. Thanks be to God that His goodness doesn't hinge on our circumstance, but His work. And if we're one of those people who have to endure the suffering the pain and the hurt and the anxiety. Let God's Holy Spirit draw us again to this text. When we ask the question, what is the cause, let us hear the tender voice of Jesus say, wrong question. Let us hear the invitation of Jesus to rest in His goodness and the work that He's done so that in the day that comes, 
whether in this life or the next, we will experience that healing and that freedom. Experience it because of the work of Christ. See, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. To Him be the glory. Amen? Now, friends, may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day.